What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I am your host, Josh Canuti. If you haven't done so already, give us a subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. Give us a rating. Write us a review. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Asley. You'll hear me say it in the podcast, overcome something that I never wish anybody would have to overcome, and that's burying your own child. And not to mention just overcoming that, he talks about overcoming losing a massive windfall of income, you know, hitting rock bottom, moving back in with his parents in his mid-40s, which I can only imagine the ego hit that that would fucking take. But, you know, he's developed a self-love practice, and he's overcome, and now he's just really, really uh, brave in the fact that he's able to fillet himself open, be transparent, talk about losing his son, talk about losing his family, um, and I just applaud him. I just think he's he's what this world needs. He, These type of people need to have a voice and need to be out there because people connect with it, and he's helping hundreds of thousands of people. He's got an amazing new book called What the Heck is Self-Love? Um, I just really, really enjoyed talking to him, and I'm so thankful that he's able and brave enough to talk about the things that he's overcome. And I just think, listen to this podcast, listen to his his joyful spirit, even though he's been through so so much. And it was just a uh, it was just an honor and a great joy to talk to him. So please welcome my guest today, Jonathan Aslan. By the way, everyone, you're on your own journey. Yes, there is no right or wrong. There, there. One other thing, there's no right or wrong to how to live your life, right. but just l- go out and live it. You know, at, and that's going, bringing it full circle back to my son. That's what I appreciate most. He lived life on his own terms. Jonathan Asley, thank you very much for coming on the Overcoming You podcast. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. Thank you very much for uh, cruising on. No, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today. I've looked at it. I've been consuming a lot of your content, and I just I love your energy, and I love your insights on some of the topics that we'll go through today. So I'm really, really excited to get to talk to you and kind of get your insight because you have, you've overcome a lot of things, and you've overcome. I'm just going to get right into it, and so sorry to uh, swing for the fences here, but... Yeah. Like I said, you had to do something that I, I don't wish on anybody, and that's unfortunately bury one of your children. Can you yeah. kind of discuss a little bit about that, kind of what happened? And then I want to kind of go into how how do you overcome something like that? Because I can't even imagine the sorrow you've been through. And I think um, once you give a background of kind of what happened and then how you overcome, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people that have been in your situation, and I think it's going to help. So, yeah. Thank you so much. So... um So for those listening, um, I believe it's now been 16 months since I lost my 19-year-old son, Connor. And and without going into too much of the details, I'll be candid with what actually happened. He, um, 19 years old, you know, like a lot of kids, very experimental in his life. He he had the energy of the rebel kind of personality, so he liked to test the limits on things. And... And because he thought he was kind of invincible, um, he certainly partaked in social drugs, if you will. And I'm thinking along the lines of marijuana and that sort of thing. But um, he had taken a Xanax tablet that was tainted with fentanyl. Oh. 
and he died in his sleep. Um, probably had no clue what happened. I, from what I understand, what actually happens is your body literally shuts down and goes to sleep and just doesn't wake up. And it happened while he was at home with his mom. And the sad part is he, he woke up that morning, went and said good morning to his mom, said, hey, I'm going to go back and get some sleep. I'm going to go out later today. And he never woke up. So... And why? And and I haven't made this that particular piece too public to be candid with you. I don't know why I felt compelled to share this because I've been been more inclined to share some other things about him. And and what I mean to say was, about three months before he passed, he um, had a seizure. Mm. And the and at first we were like, this came so out of the blue, and. And then he had another seizure a month later. And like, this is really weird. And we went to go see a neurologist and such. But we had found out that there were a couple other kids in the neighborhood that also had seizures. And this was really weird. And, they, and what was the common link to all this was a withdrawal from Xanax. Interesting. That So he was taking a lot of Xanax as a way to, as, to kind of um, help him sleep and help him kind of calm down. Yeah. Because he told me, it was interesting, a few months before he passed, he kept saying, my mind is racing a lot. I mean, and it was like a non sequitur. It came out of the blue. And then all of a sudden, these seizures happened. And so we learned from a few of his other friends that the same thing was happening. And I'm going into a little more detail because just even witness, and I witnessed one of the seizures. We were actually at the, he had three seizures before he passed. Oh, man. And so... Um, and we were at the airport when one of these happened. We were just going through security, as a matter of fact. And to witness your child even going through that was a horrific trauma to watch your child go through this. So sure. my point in sharing this with you, Josh, is that when I got the call that the paramedics were there, because she didn't, my, my ex-wife didn't know that he had, I mean, there was still, we don't know exactly, I don't know exactly the details. But my first reaction was, God, I hope he, I kind of had this reaction like, in a way I had hoped he had passed because I didn't want him to suffer in his life because mm -hmm. he was having all these seizures. And I was, I, was, I was fantasizing about him driving and having a seizure and getting into an accident or something, you know, something horrific happening that would have been in some ways more suffering. Yeah. So when I got the news, obviously I'm in shock. I, I will tell you, it's, it's, almost, it's so surreal to get that phone call because you literally go into, uh, you, you just kind of go into a haze. And yet, and then when I got to see his lifeless body and I had a chance to say goodbye to him, I made a commitment to myself right in that very moment. It was later that afternoon. I had this weird thought and I said, I'm gonna grieve with love. I made this conscious choice that I'm going to grieve with love. And instead of, I'm not going to grieve with suffering. Mm. And I say this because, yes, anyone who hears this, and, and I want to share something else. It just It's non sequitur, but this is kind of something that really struck me this sure. past weekend. I was with a group of friends that we haven't gotten together since his funeral. So it had been about 11 months, or excuse me, 16 months earlier that a group of us got together. And I was really surprised at how many people came to his funeral that I hadn't seen in 20 or 30 years. And what one of my friends said was, 
this hit us on such a soul level. Mm-hmm. This hit us on such a, like it could have been our child. Yeah. And, and I was so great. And I'm sharing this because I'm so grateful for everyone. And, and what happens when someone loses a child, you are literally surrounded by love. People come mm-hmm. out of the woodwork to want to give you love. I mean, there's, I mean, not just sympathy, but just real love. And I was immersed in love. And that's why when I said I'm going to grieve with love is I, I wanted to hold the space of what it feels like just to love myself and everyone through this. Yeah. I kind of took a long way to answer your no. question, but I just kind of wanted <laughs> to give you some backstory. Yeah, no, it's, um, I just, you know, that whole fentanyl thing, not to dovetail on yeah. the logistics of that, but yeah. I was just listening to a Dr. Drew podcast and he has a really good uh, series on the epi- uh, opioid crisis. And yeah. what he actually said is that, Yes, the opioid crisis is is horrific, but a a big majority, I forget the percentage, the big majority of the people that pass away with OxyContin or with yeah. uh, opioids, it's actually due to the benzos, is due to the the Xanax and due to the other things cuz the from what he said and I'm too stupid to know he's a doctor. Yeah. The uh opioids, they kind of calm you down, but they calm you down so to the point where the benzos kind of take over and then your just heart stops. Yes. So there's a big big epidemic where benzos aren't getting enough negative backlash that the opioids are because they're, they're in tandem. So that's a big, big um, issue. So going back to what what you said earlier, grieving with love versus doing it with grief. What do you, what do you mean by that? What's the, what do you think is the difference? Because in your opinion, well, thank you for asking. And I, I, if I'm differentiating grieving with love versus grieving with suffering, and that's really kind of where I'm differentiating the two, is that it's a little bit hard to put into words. So just bear with me here. Yeah. Um, I, I first I, I wanted to accept that while my his mortal body wasn't here anymore, that I I. I made a conscious choice to accept that his spirit and I are still very connected. So that I, I made the choice to say, while our, our human relationship has changed, our spiritual relationship hasn't. So that's one factor that I've, I've adopted within myself, that I still have a relationship with him. I mean, just to share with you, um, I still have his cell Well, I have his cell phone number, or I have his cell phone, and... I still text him every couple, three or four, maybe every 10 or 15 days, I shoot him a text message. So that's my way of staying connected with him. That's one thing. The suffering piece is, though, but going to the the suffering piece is that I'm not choosing to go down this, what if he did this or what if that or beating myself up that I could, because as a parent, and I'm sure, you know, those listening can appreciate this. It's our job to protect our children. It is my duty on this planet from the moment they're born till the day they pass away is to protect them. But we think of that passing away 50 to, you know, 70 years down the road, or, or I mean, or excuse me, 80, 70 to 80 years down the road. And it's my job to protect them. And I decided not to allow myself to suffer in these areas of what ifs and making up, you know, like I could have done different or I could have, you know, all of that angst that comes. Yeah. Now, I say I make a choice. It's not like those thoughts don't <laughs> creep in. But I, I, I say, how can I surround myself with love instead of suffering? Yeah. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I for sure. I, no, yeah. for sure. That's the thing that, you know, that society kind of puts on us that, you know, we lose a loved one or we lose, um, you know, a, a child or a close friend or something. And it's almost like you should, like the right thing to do is to suffer when in actuality, you know, that individual that's passing would never want you to suffer a million yes. years. And so yeah. you almost feel bad about not suffering, but the thing that the, to honor that individual, I think, is to recognize that it happened, go through the grieving process, but come out of it and not suffer and, and somehow overcome that and make make it better. And, and you're doing a great job of being very transparent and flaying yourself out to the uh, to the masses so it can hopefully help somebody. But I think that's just such an interesting dichotomy. I can only imagine some of the listeners going, "Well, I should feel like this. I should feel like this. I should not. I should not be. Um, I should not be doing. I should not be feeling or doing better. I should have this like feeling of grief or whatever." Yeah. So I just. Uh, I think it's really cool that you give people the latitude to grieve and love and not grieve and suffer because I think it's going to benefit you a lot longer in the long run. Uh, can I lead into that for a second? Yeah. Because it's interesting. There are times when I go, okay, now, and believe me, there isn't a day go by that there isn't some emotion that I have. And, and, and there are times when I'm crying or some feeling of pain comes through. Um, but then I witness like, a, and especially now that it's been a year and a half almost, is like, I'm like, wow, I didn't like, cry this past week. And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to like, like, in other words, it's like a badge of honor. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you that if I did a post on Facebook and did even just a remote little, you know, like for lack of a better word, cry for help. Yep. Okay. Yep. I would get so much sympathy. I mean, and, and I would get a flood of love and just with a little comment and, and that becomes very addictive. Yep. And that was the other choice I made. I said, I'm not going to allow myself to get addicted to sympathy because I recognize that some people can feed off of that for years. Yes. And, and what you said a moment ago really rings home for me. Connor would never want me to suffer. His personality was such the opposite. Yeah. I mean, everything about his personality would have been, this would be the last thing he would want me or anyone in his life to do is to suffer. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, it became the catalyst for literally two months after he passed away was the catalyst for me writing a book uh, about what I feel is the antidote to suffering, what I feel is the the vaccination to chaos, if you will, and and that's what prompted me to really do a deeper dive into something that I hope helps the masses. Yeah. What um, how did you overcome the thought? And I'm just assuming here. How did you overcome the thought or feeling of it was your fault? Because I can only imagine that comes in to your mind at some point in time, right? Yeah, and thank you for asking that. Um, when I say thank you, I just mean I no. appreciate you asking me that because there. It, let me rewind for one second. So a year before my son passed, um, we knew that he didn't want to go to college. He graduated high school. He didn't want to go to college because he he struggled in school. He struggled with reading and writing, and and he had a slight. And I don't want to say a learning disability per se, but just. He might have been just, you know, we we don't know exactly what 
his problem was because we tried to figure it out and which was such a contrast to his brother who was a graduated college magna cum laude double oh, major wow. i mean like you know like you know did everything <laughs> that would be studious and his brother struggled in school yeah. so he said to me connor said to me he goes graduate high school he said will you give me one year to figure out my life without any pressure because parents like to pressure sure. their kids get a job go to school do sure. this kind of stuff and we both said his mom and i said yeah absolutely you get time to figure it out you know because we have the resources to take care of you why i'm sharing this with you is he passed away one year and three days later wow. from when him saying that to me why I say why I'm sharing this is on some level, I believed his spirit knew he was here for a short documentary. Mm. He was here for a short visit, if you will. And I think his spirit really knew that because his last year, he lived life balls out. I mean, he did some funny, hilarious things that I mean, yeah. a lot of people would probably judge, you know, but I'm not here to, I, I don't judge any of his experience yeah. because he lived life on the edge. I mean, he would go down to Skid Row and videotape drug addicts, you know, with his smartphone uh, because he wanted to start yeah. a YouTube channel. Nice. I'm like, how crazy is that? Yeah. But I, in, in retrospect, I go, and by the way, I've watched some of the videos. They are hilarious. I mean, it would have <laughs> been a great YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and he was doing it with a buddy. So he lived life to his fullest. So I, I, and I'm proud that I, in some ways, allowed him to experience his journey. And even though he chose, you know, he, again, he thought he was invincible. I'm sure what happened was he took the pill and goes, oh, fuck, I didn't expect this to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm actually proud that I allowed him to, to navigate his life on his terms. Yeah. And a lot of people might go, well, you know, it's your job to, it's our job to be harsh parents. And I, I want to, I want to come at it from a different angle. I, I wanted to be a loving parent that accepted him for who he was, no matter what direction he headed in yeah. his life. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting. It's, you know, Steve Jobs has that quote. It's always easier to connect the dots going back. <laughs> but, um, and I say this with the utmost respect and love and kindness, but had uh, Connor not passed away, you probably would not be helping the hundreds of thousands of people that you've helped or the tens of thousands of people that will hear this episode. Yeah. And I, I would never wish that on anybody, but there is a silver lining because, because that happened to you and because of who you are as a person, you're able to help hundreds of thousands of people that you may not have helped before, you know? Yeah. And so it's, that sacrifice that he did helped so many more people than I think you and I ever could have thought of before. So I, th I just think there's a silver lining, regardless of how difficult that may sound or be. So, thank you. And I, I mean, I'm so blessed. And Connor is actively in, in my life on so many different levels. Um, his nickname um, was Salty or anything related to salt. So. Yeah. I now get inundated with people sending me images of salty and uh, salty crew t-shirts, mm -hmm. salty life t-shirts, salty, I mean, there's just so much out there yeah. that I get inundated with it. <clears throat> but I wanted to say something, you know, I honestly believe that he, his spirit chose a short 
short move, a short documentary is what mm-hmm. I call it. You know, like yeah. a short, a, fe- a short feature film kind of thing. It yeah. wasn't meant to be a long term. And I think his soul knew this. And so for me, it inspires me to want to be an extension of him out in the world. And so, in fact, in my book, so I want to share with you a quick little Connor story. So he he had a personality where people could not like him or, or disagree with him or something that never let, he never allowed someone's opinion of him bother him. Wow. So can I curse real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Do I have shit, okay, I just want to make sure if, yep. if, I, if I'm not allowed. So one of the chapters in my book is called Don't Let Anyone Fuck With Your Chi. Nice. I love and it. It's because that's who he was. Yeah. He had this kind of ability to really, he kind of loved and accepted himself. So he's been the catalyst, certainly. And I'm, you know, and again, I'm, I didn't, believe me, this wasn't the way I chose, I would have chosen to be a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Sure. But sometimes it's sad. And it's, and it's interesting because your podcast is all about this. It's so sad as humans that we oftentimes have to hit rock bottom or suffer to actually rise above it all. Yeah. And it would be great if we didn't have to. It'd be great if we could be in this state of gratitude and love and empowerment and, and everything. Um, but I am also grateful because he's really inspired me. And he's the good news, he's still with me yeah. all the time. Yeah. So it inspires me to want to help. That's the thing that everybody on the planet intuitively knows, but nobody wants to recognize or give in. It is impossible to have anything great or make a, a big impact or start a business or, or be physical fit or anything. You have to go through some sort of struggle. Every single thing happens if yeah. it's not tended to. You know, wood rots, metal rust, you know, a garden grows weeds, muscles atrophy. Everything has to go through this struggle, and the thing is, is when you do, once you come out of it, the rewards are so much more profound, and the feeling is so much, um, so much greater than if you just had an easy life. That's why you think, you know, I grew up here in Newport Beach, and I have a lot of, um, you know, trust fund baby friends that, but you know, some of them aren't the. I'm gonna get a lot of shit for this, but. Some of, the, some of them aren't the best individuals because they've had this easy fucking life and this, they have a trust fund to the backup trust fund to the backup trust fund and they haven't gone through these trials and tribulations that a lot of us have and like you have and now you're making this massive impact albeit due to or partially credited to do with this deep, profound, unfortunate thing that happened to you. So there's that, that yin and yang that we all know but none of us... We all want it to be easy, and I think the sooner yeah. that we understand that, hey, shit gets tough, but if you, as long as you get tougher and overcome and rise above, it's going to be so much sweeter in the end. Just la- last, last thing on that, as far as um, we were talking about, that the individual would always want you to overcome and live your best life, and not to turn the focus on me, but when I, <laughs> I had a um, pretty intense suicide attempt, and... Mm. After I wrote notes to everybody, and in every single note, I always put, you know, just, I know this sounds morbid, but just forget about me, you know, go to the beach, have fun, all this, all this type of stuff. And then I also put together a playlist to play at whatever sort of funeral I have, but it was all super upbeat, positive stuff. It was never, it wasn't any, um, 
you know, somber things. It was all, hey, just have a party, have a life, you know, be happy, which is, I think, what all of our loved ones would want for us that are no no longer here. So I'm just so stoked that you're grieving with love and not grieving with suffering. So that's just really, really cool. Thank you. Going into something else that you had to deal with, and I'm really excited to hear your insights on this. You kind of hit rock bottom and lost um, after a uh, breakup, after a divorce, kind of had some financial issues, and now you've come full circle and kind of come out of that. Can you speak to that a little bit, kind of what happened and how you overcame? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting. I think I was able to navigate the loss of my child, which a much healthier perspective because of what actually happened the 10 years earlier. And for those listening, I, um, after turning 40, I found that my marriage was breaking up. In fact, um, I was, I'd had a 12 year marriage that was, um, ending the same week that my marriage was ending. Um, I found out from my boss that I'm losing my quarter million dollar a year job. Whoa. Yeah. And within a few years of that, I'd lost all my money in the market and I had a, I had a seven figure net worth. So I went from, I went from being, you know, an egotistical, you know, and I'm going to quote, I'm going to call myself out on this. I was very ego driven, success driven person who had the, you know, had the $2 million home, the family and everything to literally within a short period of time being completely wiped out in my mid forties, going to bed, wishing I didn't wake up Mm. doing drugs and alcohol to cope, to get through the day. And while Um, and I was addicted to, after I moved out of the house, I became addicted to online dating. Oh, wow. I literally was going out on an online date. I mean, I, my first year after my divorce, I went out on over a hundred internet dates. Whoa. Playa. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but they were all short lived, you know, it was like one or two and then on to the next one or two. And, and that became, now what's interesting about that experience was that after a hundred internet dates, I go, God, something's not right. And I looked in the mirror and said, something's not right with me. There it is. And that was the moment that the movie, The Secret had come out. Mm -hmm. And I watched The Secret and I go, God, this resonates with me. And then uh, What the Bleep came out. And then I started to read books and I, you know, started to follow Tony Robbins, you know, and I, I, the irony is I, I bought Tony Robbins CDs 10 years earlier, but they were still in a box. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, but, but I began a deep dive into personal development because I realized my life isn't working for me. And thankfully, I'm blessed to have a, had a mom and dad who saw me suffering and I was literally at my lowest point. And they said, you can come back to the nest. And I moved in with my senior citizen parents at a retirement community. And you're in your 40s at this time. I'm in my mid 40s at this point. I mean, I lived in a $2 million home and now I'm living in a 100 square foot room in a retirement community. Talk about an ego hit. Yeah. By the way, I was still online dating. <laughs> I mean, like I mean, like you couldn't believe. I mean, Were you bringing chicks back that? to your parents' house? 
Oh my, no, 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 no. But women, interestingly enough, and the women, probably some women will laugh or end or appreciate this, you know, women are beautiful creatures that will accept men in their worst. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, I was a train wreck and I can't tell you how many women wanted to fix me. Right. Um, it's, that's even seductive. Um, that experience though became the catalyst for shifting. I was at, you know, I was no longer in the insurance industry anymore. It actually became the catalyst for me to become a dating and relationship coach, which is my profession today. And, and I mean, now I've risen to, you know, I'm at the level of some of the top relationship and dating coaches out in the country. Um, but it wasn't, it was that rock bottom where I went to, I had an ocean view. I'm in Redondo Beach, you're in Newport. I had an ocean view, this beautiful ocean view. I'd get up every morning and close the curtains take some pills and just curl up and not wish I'd wake up. Wow. And now my ocean view is what inspires me to get up every morning. Yep. Um, so where was I going with that? Oh, so that was my rock bottom. And what was interesting was it was working through that. And I'm a big proponent of personal development, self-help and spirituality as a way to shore up our sovereignty, as a way to shore up who we are as as an individual. Yeah. So by the time, and by the way, six months before my son passed away, my mother passed away. Oh my gosh. Um, and then, Jonathan. and then at six months after my son passed away, my father who is 94 said, I don't want to live in the United States anymore. He moved back to his home country, which was a year ago today. I haven't seen my father. So I literally lost three wow. sevenths of my blood family all in one year. That's a tough year. But I, but I was able to navigate it because of all the work I did in advance. And yeah. that's why I wrote my book as an, as an inspiration to, for individuals to begin a self-discovery journey, to begin a journey of really, you know, that question of who am I and why am I here? Yep. Really start doing a deep dive and don't wait until you're, you hit rock bottom. Begin this practice in your 20s. Begin a practice you know, no offense, who the, why the fuck would you want to watch the Kardashians make your own life the reality yes. show that pe other people want to watch? Yes. And by begin by a personal development, self-help, and spiritual practice. Yeah. And what's the name of your book again? Oh, yeah, I haven't mentioned yet. So my book is called What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? And, it, it, and I, I'm inspired by this because... I'm sure you've gotten on an airplane where the flight attendant says, in the case of cabin pressure change, you know, oxygen mask will drop. And if you're traveling with small children, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Yep. This is, that is such a metaphor for life because when we begin to start loving ourselves first, we <clears throat> then have the capacity to love and help everyone on the planet yes. when it becomes inward going outward. Yeah. So in your book, and don't don't give away all, all the good tips, but what are some things in the book? Because that's something that I really am interested in. That's one of the things that I really want this podcast to do. And that's one of the major reasons I wanted to have you on. I'm so excited. Is yeah. that um, one of the things I say on this podcast all the time is the most important thing in this world, period, end of story, is what we think about ourselves when we are by ourselves. And sometimes, and I've been there, and everyone here, everyone listening, and maybe you have been there too, sometimes when you're sitting alone, those thoughts can be some of the darkest 
thoughts and that self-love is nowhere to be found. So yeah. in, in that book, it sounds like you probably have some really good um, tips, tricks. I, I need to come up with some different sure. words, some tips and tricks on how to start a self-love practice. So how would you, what are some uh, advice you would give to start that practice or start a practice? Sure. So I love this question and the way you've laid it out, because you're right. When we're in our darkest moments, we're usually alone. And I think the first thing to be aware is to be able to go, ah, I'm in the hole. I'm in that deep hole, that, that pit of despair. And to say, that's where I am right now. And so for those listening, I want to say that first off, that's called awareness to be able to recognize you're in this deep hole and and I want to encourage everyone to go, no matter what, you're going to be okay. Yes. I mean, just no matter what, just say to yourself, I'm going to be okay and recognize this. Now, I want to be crystal clear. Most likely, if you're in there, this is a result of either a negative pattern or a limiting belief that you've had that most likely stems back to childhood. So my invitation in this very moment, if you're in that pit of despair, is to go, and if it's the first time that you really are paying attention to this, I want you to Google the words childhood wounds, childhood wounds. And what that means is a reflection of our personality, who we are as adults, are, 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 have been imprinted on what happened to us in children, whether it was you know, it is a dynamic between our mother and father, yeah. most likely, or a surrogate parent that could have been in your life. And begin to immerse yourself in learning that most of the things that have happened to you as an adult is a reflection of what happened at some point in your childhood. And begin a journey of learning about it. Begin a journey of studying it. Begin a journey of kind of getting a sense of where you started at age two when this all began, yeah. I mean, it really started in the womb, but I'm saying most right. of the stuff that really starts to affect us as adults, it all stem between the ages of two and 12, they say. Some people say two to seven, some, you know, I mean, every, sure. every uh, person has a different perspective on it. Yep. But why I'm specifically talking about this, Josh, is that once you recognize that this happened and it wasn't your fault, was, and when we can go, God, that wasn't my fault. That was just a, a basis of circumstances. It allows one to begin an, an empowerment journey into how can I love myself? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> Hence the term self-love. Yeah. How can I feed that love that that little kid needed at age two or four or six or seven? And how can I wrap my arms around the little kid inside of me? Mm -hmm and give them so much love that it infuses that little kid inside of you to, to, to push it outward into the, onto the planet, if yeah. you will. So you, <clears throat> I love what you, <clears throat> excuse me, I love sure. what you sa said there. I think I, I've said this before. The first step of self-love or building self-worth is when those thoughts come up, you have to recognize them or use the word awareness first. So yeah. I, I can't agree with you more. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm in that, that moment. I'm trying to, I don't feel good. I have bad thoughts. I realize that, hey, I have the awareness. I'm recognizing my thoughts. Then what's the next step to do? What's the next step to slowly crawl out of that hole, in your opinion? What else can I do or what other tips or tricks can I do once I recognize it? And then what's the next thing? 
Yeah. So I, I just want to share that what I shared with your audience here is that big picture of the why. So with, yep. the, with the childhood wounds, I just wanted that awareness for everyone to recognize that piece. But the step, and I like that you're bringing this up. So when I was in that pit of despair, I latched on to a motto. And that motto was from Walt Disney that said, keep moving forward. I chose one mantra, one motto, one affirmation to be the catalyst for me. Just, and I, each one of us might, you know, for some people, I mean, there's hundred different quotes out there. Sure. But my invitation is to take one quote that means something to you as that carrot and really embody that because that keep moving forward was more like even a tiny baby step in the right direction was, you know, and recognizing I could go backward, but that, that little mantra inside my head was keep moving forward. Yep. Choose one mantra yep. for it to be a catalyst for you. Um, by the way, for your audience, I want to share with you my current mantra. And I, by the way, I come up with an affirmation every six months. Um, I always start a new affirmation. My current affirmation is called, I'm loving myself and everyone else. Nice. That's my newest one. I'm loving myself and everyone else. Um, and no matter what it is for you, choose an affirmation. Choose one thing and plaster it throughout your home. Put it, put, put it in places where it, it, that it, you can't help but want to embody what it says. Now, yeah. that's hard to do when you're in despair, but that's actually so simple. It's easy. It doesn't require that much to yep. choose a mantra. Yeah, I can I can 100% agree or connect with that because after my um, suicide attempt, I've talked about this before, is that I knew that one of the things is that thoughts are just these imaginary, illusory things. However, they are the reasoning for virtually, if not all of the suffering in the entire world. And also, they're virtually the reason for all of the joy in the world. And yeah. I and it seems so stupid and so simple and so Josh, how did you not know that? But it wasn't until I got down to my rock bottom and I said, okay, I have to build my self worth. And so what I did is uh, similar to exactly what you just said is that every so often, not every day, but every so often, I would just write down on either text it to myself because I didn't get out of bed for days days at a time. Yeah. I would just text myself, I'm okay, and then send, I'm okay, and then send. And then on top of that, I know I've told the story before on this podcast, but I was so down in the dumps that I, I didn't believe I could do anything. And so I literally just took a quarter and I put it from my nightstand to my dresser. And I told myself I'm going to do it for 30 days just because I wanted to prove to myself I could actually fucking do something that I set myself yeah. out to. And for 30 days, nightstand dresser, nightstand dresser, nightstand dresser, which to the listeners and to someone who hasn't been to that depths of despair you're probably listening and going, that is so dumb. What the heck? But after that 30 days, I have to be very honest. I felt better about myself because I had that little progress and progress equals happiness. And during those 30 days, I would text myself, you know, my affirmation, I'm okay. I'm yeah. okay. I'm okay. And it seems to the listeners, it seems so small, but exactly what, what you just said, some sort of affirmation. And if you can physically write it with your hand and a pen and a pencil or text it to yourself something, there's so much value in that because you're giving it something tangible. It's not just an illusory thought, like I said, because those thoughts come and go like the wind. But if you write it down, 
if you plaster it all over, like you said, there's just so much power into it, and it may seem so simplistic, but I'm telling you, if you do it, it will help. It will help. So I just love that, that you said that, and I can't agree with you more. I can't connect with that even more, so I love it, man. You know, it's interesting because willpower, <laughs> I think willpower is the one of the strongest forces in the universe. I mean, and for, for those of you who are comic book fans, that's where the source of the Green Lantern gets his strength, you know, is from willpower. That's the greatest source. And yet, um, when we're in that state of despair, it's so hard just even sometimes get up in the morning. Yes. And I've been there and you've been there and there's plenty of people on this podcast have been here. And I love that what you just shared it's those simple things that, and really, for those listening, it works. It's it's yes. at least moving a quarter. As as I kind of, I'm sorry to say, as no, ridiculous as is. that sounds, it really works. And 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 all I can say is, I lived. I was at a point where I didn't want to wake up, and now I get, like I said, I get up and I get to see an ocean view, and I get to have deep, rich, meaningful connections with people, and I'm so grateful. Yes. But it literally was moving the quarter every day that got me there. Yep. Well, I know we're getting close on time, but before I have just one or two other questions, but before I get there, where can everybody find you and what do you got going on? I know you got a lot of projects in the uh, fire. Well, thanks so much. So I don't know. I think there'll be a link somewhere here yep. that will take you to. I, I'm For your listeners, I'm going to uh, offer you a couple chapters of my book called uh, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? And there'll be a link here. Um, I'm on social media. I'm on, you, I'm on YouTube. I'm on uh, Instagram, I'm <laughs> every other place. Um, what I'm most proud about is a program I have called Midlife Love Mastery. And because my demographic I like to speak to is those folks in midlife, which I call after baby making years and before retirement. Now, <laughs> since I, I tend to work with more women, that's why the baby making part, because guys can have babies till they're 80, I guess some can. Um, yeah. But for the most part, it's that 42 to 69 year old demographic where we're all going through this crisis, if you will, of that what's typically used to be called midlife crisis, where your reality collides with your blueprint. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to inspire a loving approach to all of the suffering in our life because love is such a powerful force. And yet, you know what's interesting, Josh? I wonder, I want everyone listening to ask yourself, how many times in any given day do you actually even say the words love? Mm. Like, just even say the word love, because love is such, just the word itself can be very powerful, yeah. but if it's in your consciousness, so that's what, I, that's what I'm doing through my programs is encouraging love for self and everyone else. Yes, yeah. And they can get your book on uh, website, oh. Amazon, all that stuff? Oh, yeah, okay. on Amazon. Great. <laughs> what awesome. Self-love. Cool. Well, just uh, closing out the day today, um, I know we talked about quite a few things in the same vein, but how do you personally build your self-worth or your self-image? It's a daily practice. Hmm. It's a daily practice of both awareness that we talked about. So whenever I'm feeling, now sometimes I might feel melancholy that relates to my son and I just allow that feeling to come and go like the way an, an ocean wave would come and go. I don't try to stop it or any type of thing. I allow mm. it to come in and then I allow it to kind of recede out the way the water would at the ocean. But I also do a deep dive every day. Whether And by the way, I spend mm. hours a day on personal development. It's kind of a professional 
<laughs> I was going to say occupational hazard, but it's uh, not a hazard. <laughs> but, but I invite everyone to devote at least a 15 minutes a day to some personal development. Now, for some people, that could easily be meditation mm-hmm. as something that one can easily do. But I would certainly encourage more than 15 minutes. I would encourage an hour. I like Tony Robbins calls it the hour of power. Yep. But make an hour if you can possibly, but if you can't, 15 minutes, investing in your own personal growth. So I like to read books. I like to uh, things that nurture my soul in that regard, or maybe watch a YouTube video, or watch a documentary on health and fitness. I, I'm a big believer that our bodies are a huge component of this. So you've, people have heard mind, body, spirit, emotions. Mm-hmm. That body piece is hugely important to invest, and so it could yeah. be exercise. But I'd rather do that than watch The Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather do that than, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, well, I was I'm trying to think of something ridiculously, you know, like the now, Temptation Island or something. I'll, I don't know. I'll, I'll call I'll call my wife out. You'd rather do that than watch 90 Day Fiance. She loves that fucking show. Yeah. <laughs> and while I'm all in favor of a binge watcher yeah. there, you know, but binge on yourself. Yep. I mean, think about this, everyone. Begin the binging of yourself and not see sometimes binging can be an avoidance mechanism to yes. moving the quarter. OK. Yep. yep. So that's what. That's what binging can be. But binge on your own life. Make your life the reality show that everybody else wants to watch. Yeah. And that's my invitation. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the World Health Organization put out um, a bunch of things that may, be, that may be signs or precursors to depression or anxiety. And one of them on there was if you watch four to over four hours of TV a day, that's a – just like you said, it's a possible avoidance. It's a way to – um, just like t- having a drink or doing drugs or something to change your state and just kind of veg out. Yeah. And so many people, I think so many people in today's society don't realize that they're doing that because that's just what we do. But I, I love what you said. Binge on yourself. Binge on doing stuff for your for yourself. You know, the reading, the the learning, physical fitness, the mind, body, and soul. Because once you start to create a pattern and start to get progress in that you feel so fucking good at the end of the day and you're going to feel a lot better at the end of the day than if you sat there and binge watched um you know any of the shows that that we said sorry i'm not gonna we're not gonna get any sponsors from any of those tv channels now (laughs) (laughs) well there's uh, so much by the way at the end of my book for those listening i literally lay out all of the the content that i feel is the most powerful out there to make a difference in your life and so it's, it's laid out. So I made it simple for people to go to places, at least what I feel is like the best. And, and by the way, everyone, you're on your own journey. Yes. There is no right or wrong. There, there, one other thing, there's no right or wrong to how to live your life. Right. But just l- go out and live it. At, and that's going, bringing it full circle back to my son. That's what I appreciate most. He lived life on his own terms. Yeah. And and I got to witness it. I'm so blessed that I got to witness it because we and his mother and I didn't put a lot of constraints on him. We mm-hmm. allowed him to be himself. And that's my invitation for everyone. Live life on your own terms and don't give a shit about what other people think. I love it. I love it, man. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on the Overcoming You podcast. I just really, really appreciate individuals like yourself. I mean this wholeheartedly that are 
willing to be transparent and fillet themselves open, even though it may bring up some difficult things. But brother, you're helping a lot of people by sharing your story. And so thank you for coming over on the Overcoming Podcast. Thank you for everything that you do. And I just appreciate you. You know what? I want to really quickly say this before we wrap up. I really appreciate you. I, first off, you're a great interviewer. So I just <laughs> want to say that out loud to everyone listening because I do a lot of podcasts. I do a couple a week kind of thing. And you're a great interviewer. I love what you're doing, though. I'm so grateful you're doing because this is how we spread love across the planet, by getting deep into this stuff. And you're doing a great job. Yeah. So I'm grateful Thank beyond you. words. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. All right. Be kind to yourself, guys. See ya.